and embrace the goodness that you've been redeemed back to and the goodness of who God is. All right? Yes. We ready? We ready? So we know who we are. Everybody got it. We know who we are. We're redeemed back to the beginning. Those realities are to be our realities. They are the promises being held out for us that we can actually come into. So awesome. So now we're going to talk about, well, what have we been given? All right? Um, so Daniel chapter 10, 5 to 6. I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Does anybody know who Daniel's vision was of? Who was it? Jesus? Yes, Jesus. Then John has a... Has a, has a vision in Revelation. This is John's vision. <clears throat> I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Do you know who John was seeing? Jesus. Now, I, I, I did put some words in bold. That was on purpose, right? Eyes like flaming torches. His eyes are like blazing fire. You guys see that? All right, Revelation 2.18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Who is he talking about? <laughs> JC. Yes, way to switch it up. You've got a cool pastor here. <laughs> He's so cool. All right. <laughs> Revelation 19, 11 to 13. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Who is that? Jesus. Revelation 5, 6, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God What sent out into all the earth. Wait a minute, I saw the lamb. There was a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Who is that? Okay, so Jesus up until this point has had flaming eyes, eyes full of fire, right? Now Jesus says the lamb has seven eyes, and what are those seven eyes? Seven spirits of God. I thought there was one Holy Spirit. This is getting a little weird. Okay, Revelation 4, 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Are you starting to see a picture of what's taking place in Jesus' eyes? There are seven, tor seven uh, torches of fire around the throne of God, which are the seven spirits of God, which are Jesus' eyes. 
they fill up his eyes. To the angel of the church in Sardis, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Who is it who holds the seven spirits of God? Jesus. He holds them in his eyes. Fire. Zechariah 3.9, see the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. Zechariah 4.10, who dares despise the day of small things since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. The Lord has seven eyes, folks, and those eyes are the seven spirits of God, and they are flaming fire. What do the eyes of Jesus and the seven spirits of God do? Second Chronicles 16, 9, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Oh, this is just getting better and better and better. Now, I don't know about you, but I was like, God, what are you doing? What is this? What is this? The seven spirits of God. So Isaiah spoke about them because all through the Old Testament, there were men and women that the spirit of God fell on, but it was maybe the spirit of wisdom that fell on somebody like Solomon, right? The spirit of might on Samson, you know, spirit of, of knowledge for people who would prophesy, right? There, the, it would say the spirit of God would come on them. So they knew about some of these. Isaiah 11 one to five, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was David's father. David was in the line of Christ, so he's talking about Jesus here. There shall come a forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom, number one, and understanding, number two, the spirit of counsel, Number three, the spirit of might. Number four, the spirit of knowledge. Number five, and the fear of the Lord. Number six, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes sees or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. This is a, this is a prophecy about Jesus coming. He will have on him... Well, we only count six here, don't we? Six spirits of God, but there's supposed to be seven. So then we look and we see, I've listed out all these people that it says, and you can check out those passages there in your free time, uh, the name of the person or the spirit that came on them of God and what was the result of it, all right? And then in the New Testament, a new spirit emerges, the spirit of truth. It had not been mentioned in the Old Testament. Only six were known about. The seventh comes in the New Testament. So what is the fullness of the Holy Spirit? I used to think that the fullness was of the Holy Spirit was just a lot of them. 
That's what I thought. There was a lot of them. <laughs> the fullness of the Holy Spirit is all seven. Jesus, Jesus was the first one to have all seven on him. People before Jesus might have had one come upon them, and they would do great things. He had all seven. That's what the fullness means. I thought that was awesome. Maybe it's not as exciting for you. I'm still excited about it. Okay. Colossians 2, 1 to 10. Now, as you start to read New Testament, and maybe you already all knew this. I don't know. I did not know this, okay? This was not, I did not know this until he was typing it out for me, you know? Um, <clears throat> but after that, I saw these things listed all through the New Testament. Paul's referring to them all the time, all right? I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, this one, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There we go again. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. We have all seven. I would read stories of Samson and Joseph and, and, and Gideon and, 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 and Solomon and, and David and, whoa, look at what God did. And they had one, maybe. <coughs> Christ. In Christ. All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. That means something. That means something. <clears throat> so I looked up the word fullness. Because <laughs> this is the stuff I do. This is amazing. What are you saying, God? I get it now that the fullness is all seven, but what do you, when you say full, what do you mean? Well, the word that, that is written there that Paul used when he wrote fullness is actually a word that in classical Greek is used to describe a ship and how it runs. It's to describe the oarsmen the sailors, what get the ship moving. It's to describe the cargo, the things that make it valuable. 
That's what fullness means. So we have been brought to fullness, that something within us is the one working, doing the working, the oarsman, the movement, and the precious cargo. This is the seven spirits of God inside of us. The fullness is the life inside of us. A ship without the oarsman and without the cargo is really nothing. Right? It's what's in it and, and the ability for it to move that makes it worth anything, right? You have been brought to fullness. <clears throat> I'm just going to read these passages because it's just so good. I just throw them in there just because they say stuff, okay? For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask that Ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience in giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you He's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. I mean, this is just amazing. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption. Does that word mean something really amazing now, huh? In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body, through death, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
Do not let the enemy tell you that you're a piece of crap. That what Jesus did was not enough. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now that's a, that's a verse that I would say all the time. The Lord is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can think or imagine. No, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly. God, you do more. You do exceedingly abundantly, exceedingly abundantly, right? God, would you just move and be exceedingly abundant, right? Just on and on and on. But I was forgetting or not seeing what came after that. Exceedingly abundantly to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. I kept like grasping like, God out there, you do big things. No, no, no. He does exceedingly abundantly, immeasurably more than we could think or imagine according to his power that is in us. We are part of the equation. We're part of the equation here. But we keep getting removed from the equation because we don't know who we are. We don't believe we've really been redeemed. We still think we're sinful. We still think that Adam defines us. It's a lie. His desire is that you be brought to all the fullness of God. An equal sharer in his divine nature. Now. Now. Right now. Jesus was the first of many. You don't want to miss it. This is what we've been given. It is a gift. These verses speak so different to me now. <laughs> so what does the fullness, all seven, what does the fullness of the Spirit produce in us? Because it produces something, right? We know the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. Fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. You guys know the song? If you want to be a coconut, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the Spirit. Because the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit. You guys all know those, right? <laughs> It also produces hope. It testifies that we are children of God. It guides you into all truth. It gives power and boldness to be witnesses. It teaches you all things. It is a counselor. It, he intercedes in prayer for us, sanctifies and purifies us, and gives life to your mortal body. What we need to understand, though, is that the fruit of the Spirit is not the Spirit itself. It's what's produced by the Spirit. Okay? This is 
we got to understand this because we're like, God, give me patience. What we're doing is we're asking for an apple rather than letting the tree bear fruit. Right? Where it's the whole, like, if you give a man a fish, he eats for a day, but if you teach him to fish, he eats for a lifetime. Right? This is something that should be being produced in us. It's not supposed to be for a moment. And so if we're asking for the fruit, we're missing it. We need to be saying, God, spirit of knowledge, rise up in me. Wisdom, rise up in me. Revelation, counsel, might, rise up in me. Because that's what produces patience. Do you get the difference? We're not begging God for fruit. If you're not seeing fruit, most likely something's stealing from it. Something's stealing it. Because the spirit is there. It's supposed to be producing. So go after the spirit of God. I don't see Paul saying, I pray that you all have patience and kindness and goodness. Say, I pray that you come into the knowledge of who God is in all power, in all wisdom, and understanding, because that's what produces patience, goodness, kindness. Right? It should shift the way that you pray. We need to be a people who understand what's happening. Otherwise, we're grasping for stuff. Rather than actually having it be how it's supposed to be. <clears throat> Romans 8, 1 to 17. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. <laughs> okay. But are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. It's like he canceled out the curse or something. Although our flesh is subject to death because of sin, the wages of sin is death, he then puts his life inside of us. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, his flesh was dead, 
is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body. That is your body now. Not your heavenly body. Your mortal body. Now. The one that we'll, we will drop in the final circumcision. It'll be done. He will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. I used to think when I would read Romans 6, 7, and 8, I used to think that I would go back and forth between being in the flesh and being in the spirit. That's what, how I read it. You want to choose to be in the spirit and not in the flesh. You want to choose to be in the spirit and not in the flesh. Now I read it, and it's like, oh, no, it's either or. It's either or. It's either you're still governed by the flesh or you're governed by the spirit. This is how you know if you're governed, if you're not belonging to Christ, and this is how you know if you do, if you are. He's not saying that you're back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. That's what I read it as. But go and read it again, because it doesn't say that. I was reading it in the context of what I had been taught. And then as the Lord was showing me this stuff, and I'm going, and I, I'm going back and going, wait a minute. He says, he says a little earlier, how can you who are dead to sin live in it anymore? I mean, read it. You are one or the other. And if the Spirit of Christ lives in you, then you belong to him. And then that means you are an heir of God, which an heir gets the full inheritance, right? I mean, you're, you get the inheritance. You are an heir of God. Crazy. And you are a co-heir with Christ. Incredible. If you join in. This is amazing. This all means something, though. These were all verses I knew. <clears throat> These were all things I had read. I just didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know that the fullness meant that I had all wisdom, revelation, counsel, uh, power, that if God wanted me to do something like Samson, I could. What this does is this allows us to advance the kingdom anywhere. If I'm an equal sharer in the divine nature of God, if I have all the seven spirits of God, if, if God is telling me the truth, <laughs> then that means I can, there is nothing that I am not equipped for. So if somebody comes to me, Lydia, I need help. I need help. 
my, my, my son is addicted to drugs and I don't know what to do. Bring him here. I've got the fullness of God. I don't have to know in advance what's about to happen. I'm just fully confident that I have God, the fullness. I will have wisdom. I will have discernment. I will have counsel. My mouth will open and the spirit of God will come out. Because I've been given the fullness. In Christ, I've been brought to fullness. This is more and more reality now that everything else has gotten kicked out. <laughs> right? Like now that that stuff is gone, it's like, oh, I see the process of coming into the correct knowledge of him, coming into his promises through agreeing with him, which means I come out of agreement with the liars. I come into his promises, and now I'm participating in his divine nature. There's an order to how this happens, right? And it's happening. It means that the church can literally go anywhere and do anything. Yeah. That's what it means. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are equipped for every, this is what you've been given. You have it. If it's not producing, we're going to deal with that. Or, or, or if you're not seeing the produce, we're going to deal with that. We're going to get rid of whatever's stealing the produce. Step one, come into your <laughs> fullness of your redemption. <laughs> And then you're going to see the power of God in a way you've never known. That's what my experience is right now. I'll just tell you that. It's working. <laughs> it's actually working. I've tried a lot of Christian things. <laughs> they don't all work. <laughs> right? This has changed everything. So then we know that we get the seven spirits of God. <clears throat> they produce. They produce fruit in us. Some amazing fruit. Then we also have that the Spirit gives us gifts because, again, he's extra. He's just, I'm going to give you more, more than just my fullness. I'm going to give you some gifts, too. What's important about these gifts, and we're only going to just touch on them, what's important about these gifts is that he says that there's different kinds of gifts, but it's the same Spirit, different kinds of service, but the same Lord, different kinds of working, but in all of them, it's the same God at work. Within the church, we tend to want to know, we tend to say that everybody with a prophetic gifting should look like this and should be doing this, or everybody with a gift of service should be looking like this or doing that. No, there's different giftings. You might have the same gift as somebody, but a different service of it <coughs> or a different working of it. W but it's all the same Lord, the same spirit in all of it, and we are not to be comparing with each other. That's comparing God with God. And if you say God in one is less than God in another, then you're saying God is less. Expect it to be different. He totally says that. <laughs> different kinds of gifts, same spirit. Different kinds of service, same Lord. Different kinds of working. Okay? So don't expect your gift or the servicing of that gift or the working of that gift to look like somebody else who you think might have that same gift. 
all right? Let God do what he wants to do through you. You guys get that? All right, we've been given a deposit. You know those verses, uh, we've been given a deposit of the Holy Spirit. That's what those passages, the 2 Corinthians 1, 21 to 22, 2 Corinthians 5, 5, Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. That's what those passages are. They're the, the times where it talks about how we've been given a deposit of the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of what to come. You guys read those verses before? I used to think that the deposit was like, like a little coin. <laughs> I think that's what I thought. Like I just kind of pictured like I got a little coin in here. I don't know exactly what that means because I didn't think too much about it other than that the Holy Spirit was in there, the kingdom was kind of in there, and it guarantees that I'm saved, maybe? No. <laughs> You've been given a deposit of the Holy Spirit, the way of the kingdom, inside of you to show you what the kingdom will be like in the restoration. It's supposed to look and feel like something that's like heaven. The fullness of heaven in you. <laughs> that's, that's what makes it a guarantee. That's what literally makes it the guarantee. Otherwise, what is it? Like, oh, woohoo, I get to live my whole life, like, you know, struggling with sin. Deposit guaranteeing that that's my eternity? Like, what does that mean? No, that the way of the kingdom of heaven, we've been given that in us now to guarantee what is to come. That we can go, this reality is what I'm going towards. It's here now. It's a guarantee that I can walk with certainty about the, what the restoration is going to be like. Does that make sense? We have it in us now. It's not a little coin. It's all of heaven inside of you, the way of heaven. And it is to be something that is so convincing to you about who God is and the way that heaven is. If it hasn't convinced you, then you're not experiencing it. And that's not a condemnation. That's to make you go, okay, I got to start, I'm, I'm getting knowledge here. I got to start, I got to start dealing with what's going on. Identify what's stealing. Kick it out. You'll see the natural produce of fruit rising up. It'll just start happening. And you will begin to go after the promises of God with agreement. And you will see his nature displayed in you. It's how it goes. Yes. Keep feeling like I'm supposed to share this, but in Galatians six, I've shared this before, not with her, but um, in Galatians six, I think we all know this scripture. It says, um, "Do not be deceived; God will not be mocked. For whatever a man sows, that and that only he will reap." And I remember a time in my life where I thought that was like, for me, beware; God won't be mocked by you. Um, for a long time, that's what I thought. And then a few years ago, it was like the light bulb went on. It was like, no, God won't be mocked in the earth. You're sowing to the spirit. You're a believer. You will reap. 
it doesn't matter what's seen in the natural, you will reap. God will not be mocked by the demonic realm. He won't be mocked by spirits that harass. He won't be mocked in any way. He can't be deluded in any way in us. Whatever you are sowing, and he's talking to believers and unbelievers like she's saying, if you're sowing to the flesh, you're reaping destruction. If you're sowing to the spirit, you're reaping eternal life. He's talking about two realities, those that don't know God and those that are walking into eternity, sowing into eternity. God will not be mocked. So if you're standing in faith for something, we can have joy in it because God won't be mocked. He will fulfill every single promise that he has spoken to his people, and we can be unwavering because he won't allow himself to be mocked. That's awesome. Just going to add a little, let me take some notes here. Add it into the outline for next time. <laughs> That's good, Wes. So we have been given eyes that are a lamp as well, right? The eyes are the lamp of the body. You guys know that verse. Matthew 6, specifically verse 22 and 23. If the eye is clear, then the whole body is full of light. But if the eye is unhealthy, then the whole body is full of darkness, and if the light inside of you is darkness, then how great is that darkness, right? <coughs> well, the, the word for clear, if the eye is clear, the word for that means simple. It means single. It means in which there is nothing complicated or confused. The church has complicated a ton and been very confused. <laughs> I mean, I was in it for so long. This, like, again, the grasping at stuff, trying. And again, not out of a lack of love or a lack of desire, or any, literally a lack of knowledge. We need to be single. God is who He says He is. He gets to say who we are, He gets to say the time that we're in, and everything that He says will happen as He says it. I'm just going to be in him. It's that simple. If the eye is unhealthy, the word for unhealthy is full of labors, annoyances, hardships, pressed and harassed by labors, bringing toils, annoyances, all of that. Have you seen that? Have you experienced that? Where it's like through the eye gate, it's just everything is like another stressor, another thing, another thing, another thing, and just another thing. And those that's that's when our eye is unhealthy, because we're not seeing it through the seven spirits of God with eyes like Jesus, simple and single. We're seeing it through our own understanding. Right? I mean, you can tell. I work with a lot of people who, like I said, they're just like really far into they're living impoverished on the streets, addicted to things, whatever, in cycles of poverty. And you talk to them, and it's like everything is a chaos. Chaos, 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 chaos. So when we walk people into freedom, what we do at the after we're kicking stuff out, 
we then we go over the, the gateways to our bodies and we spend some time on the eyes and we ask Jesus to ignite our eyes with the seven spirits of God, the flaming eyes that he has, that we would now see with all wisdom and understanding, revelation, fear of the Lord, truth, knowledge, and power. That everything that comes through that gate comes through the veil of fire, is purified. I don't believe it's an accident that he says our eyes are a lamp. His eyes are a light. We were made in his image. I believe that's where we're to carry this. As the entrance, if the eyes are full of light, then everything comes through. The whole body is full of light. So we've been given that. <laughs> we've also been given the kingdom of heaven. Jesus spoke about the kingdom of heaven a ton, right? So many parables. That's what this whole last page is. And we're not, we're not going to go through each one, but I, what I want you to realize is that if you're wanting to participate in the kingdom here, you have to understand what's happening, how it's operating. Jesus lays some pretty specific things out, and yet we act like, confused about things. Wait, you're asking me to give up everything? <laughs> Kingdom of Heaven's like a treasure in a field. You have to go and sell everything you have to go buy the field. But the value of it's better, right? I mean, you see the value of it. Wait, but you want me to give, I, well, I don't want to give. You're not understanding the kingdom. The fact is, is that he's going to come back and there's going to be half of the church is going to be ready and half are not. They're all going to be knowing he's coming back. They're all going to be expecting that he's coming back, but they're not going to be ready. What does that mean? I do not want to not be ready. <laughs> that much I know. He says it's like, um, it's like a mustard seed. It starts out like a small seed, right? And then it grows to be the largest tree. How many people still refer to the kingdom as a seed inside of them? No, by this time it should be a tree. It shouldn't be a seed anymore. And when somebody comes to know the Lord and they are just starting to see the growth of it in their life, we don't get discouraged by that. We know the kingdom starts that way. And it grows and grows like yeast in dough. Eventually it gets through the whole batch. Well, the same should happen on us. I've known the Lord close to 40 years now. It should be full in me. <laughs> the yeast should be everywhere. Right? Stop referring to your faith as a seed, as an excuse for why the mountain didn't move. Stop it. It's supposed to grow. So we call that seed to grow. It's like a landowner who's hiring people. Everybody gets the same thing. Whether they get it at four years old like me, 
or they get it on their deathbed. Right? The landowner paid everybody the same. You cannot be angry about that. You know, he's, he's giving us these understandings of the kingdom and how it is and how it operates and what it is. It is good news. Preach the good news of the kingdom. Good news, the good news. If you're casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom has come upon you. There are keys for the kingdom, for binding and loosing. You must become like a child if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom. The kingdom belongs to such as the children, and it's hard for the rich to enter. Know that fact because you are the rich. We are in the top 1% of the globe in terms of wealth. I don't care if you're the poorest in your community. You're wealthy. You are. And if you know that it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom, then you can start to take some steps to make sure that nothing owns you. That your car, your house, your stuff, your job, your clothes, your, da -da -da, your money doesn't own you. You could give it all away in a second. You go after that and say, no, I will not let the things associated with wealth and comfort stop me from experiencing the kingdom. Not going to do it. If you know that's a reality of the kingdom, then you can do something about it. If you act like you don't, then you're going to miss it. And I don't believe it's talking about the kingdom in the restoration. It's talking about the kingdom now. You will miss it now. God wants his kingdom to be advancing through you. But you'll miss it if you don't understand this. You're supposed to proclaim the kingdom and heal the sick. If you put your hand to the plow and then look back, you're not worthy of the kingdom. You're supposed to command and heal the sick and say that the kingdom of God has come near, or that phrase come near actually means is joined with you. There will be great weeping and pain for those who do not make it. The kingdom is not an observable one, even though it's in your midst. It's not physical, right? These are things. We know at the end, there's going to be a great dividing. That there's a growing up of the wheat and the tares, right? How come, there's, how come the church is infiltrated with so much da-da-da-da? He said it was going to be. Why is this a surprise? He said it was going to be. And at the end, he's going to divide it. Not your job, his job. You just be the best wheat you can be. Why are we getting so concerned about things that he said are how it's going to be? He's told us. Understand, go after the kingdom. Understand it because you've been given it. And you've been given the realities of it. And you're called to advance it. But how do you advance something that you don't even know what it is? what it looks like to be part of it, <laughs> okay? So both participation in the Holy Spirit, all seven spirits of God, and the kingdom require allegiance to one king and one master. You cannot serve two gods. And I always find it fascinating, that passage. You cannot serve two masters, right? You will uh, hate one and love the other. Um, you realize... Hating one and loving the other 
means that you're serving too. Because it should be that you love one and don't care about anything else. Right? I love God, so I don't care about money. Rather than like, why isn't money coming in? We need to work harder. God, I'm trying to love you. I love you, but you're just not providing the money. No, I won't care because I have one master. Or I'll love money, and I won't care about God. If you're loving one and hating the other, it's because there's a contention in there. You cannot serve two. Love God. Allegiance to one king. He's the head of the kingdom, okay? So this is what we've been given, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, all seven spirits. We've been given the kingdom. If you know it's yours, you can actually grab hold of it, walk in it, own it, go anywhere, do anything that he's asked you to. Thank you.